I'm Josh Pollard. I'm Joe Dostasio. And this is Story Players, the podcast that analyzes story-driven video games. This is the ninth and final episode of our Mass Effect Andromeda series. Last episode, we infiltrated the Remnant space station, where we believed Meridian would be, but we learned that it was actually removed during an ancient battle between the Jardan, who are the builders of the Remnant, and some unknown force. So we're going to go find Meridian, find out where it ended up, and see what happens. Right, so for your full spoiler warning for this episode, we're going to hit pretty heavily one major side quest. It's called Movie Night, the full quest of having a fun movie night on board the ship with all of our crew members. And then we're going to head off on the final priority ops mission for the game. It's called Meridian, The Way Home. Then there's an epilogue at the end of that. And then, of course, after all of that, we're going to give you all of our overall thoughts on the game, what we thought of the story, the mechanics, and everything else about this game. Before we go save the world, the galaxy, I wanted to get a little fun mission in first. Okay, so Liam plans a movie night as a way for the crew to unwind and asks us to pick up some movies. But after we do that, a bunch of other people on the ship start asking us to pick up things for them too. Snacks, drinks, etc. After everything is ready, the crew begins watching a cult Turian film. After the crew points out the poor acting in a death scene, we perform a parody with Kalo to show that we can do it much better. So what'd you think about this mission? It was it was funny, as I expected. Mm-hmm. At one point during the movie, because it's a, a sci-fi action sort of movie, the crew all debates because, you know, they're living out this movie in their reality. <laughs> so they debate the best way to complete the mission that's happening in the movie. And there's a whole lot of different suggestions. There's send in a strike team, just torpedo the enemy, (laughs) sneak aboard and cut life support, killing everybody, take hostages, or seduce the enemy. I saw that, but I didn't didn't pick it. But I'm curious what that would have said. Did you pick that one? Oh, heck yeah, I picked that one. (laughs) All right, let's hear it. I, I basically just wanted to see what the reactions would be. And... Jal, I, I was really curious how Jal mm. would respond. Jal loved that choice. He thought <laughs> it was a fantastic option. <laughs> what did you, do you remember what you chose? I chose the other one, which was the, just the details of sneak aboard, cut life support. And then Drax like, add, eh, been there, done that. It's not as fun as you think it would be. <laughs> and he's like, he pulls up his arm and says, I got the scars to prove it. And then Lexi leans over and. And looks at the scars and says, oh, I thought you got that from falling off of a bar stool. <laughs> Which is probably the truth. <laughs> so I, th- I think this would have been a lot more fun had we been doing these steps throughout the game, like throughout as we were playing. But we, we basically did the first step and then did the next billion steps all at once at right. the end of the game. Right. And so because it's kind of silly because they have you travel all around the galaxy to get these requests we take two trips to Aya, two trips to Kadara, but we and we have to do two separate trips because it doesn't let us pick up both items in one trip. Mm-hmm. So you go to you go over to to Aya, get the thing, come back to the Nexus, go to some other planet for the next step, come back to Aya. So it was kind of annoying, but if we had done it the right way, I think it would have been a lot more fun. Yeah, it would have been more fun, and it kind of spreads out some of the humor or other interesting aspects of it. Suvi wants you to get a plant so that she can make 
some special food for it. And you eventually get that. And then everybody else is talking about how terrible this food <laughs> smells. You know, so that's that's on the funnier side. But Callow also at one point is like, I don't I don't want to go if Gil's gonna be there. Like mm-hmm. I don't like Gil. We're at opposite ends essentially, we're at opposite ends of the ship for a reason. I don't want to spend a couple hours with that guy. It made me think about how we never really see the crew interact with each other. Because at one point and, and maybe this is an example with Callow and Gil, but there's a point between PB and Suvi where like PB gets up and is all like, okay, it's time for another round of drinks. And Suvi's staring at her, like trying to see past her to watch the screen. And she's like, uh, you know, Hey, sit down. We're trying to watch this. And it occurred to me, I've never seen these two interact. And I'm like trying to think about what, how is PB going to react to this? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, do these like, these people's belief systems are so different. They're, they're two different species. And I'm like, what's going to happen? And PB just kind of sits down, but it just made me think how we didn't get a whole lot of that crew interaction throughout the game. I don't, I don't think that's entirely fair. There's definitely not a lot of crew interaction with Suvi because she's at the front of the ship all the time. But as you're walking around the ship, making your, your mass effect rounds (laughs) in between every mission, they're talking to each other when they're in the same room, Mm -hmm. you know, frequently, Vetra and Jal and Cora and Liam are are back in in the room with the Nomad and, and they're frequently talking to each other or Drac and sometimes Liam or Lexi are in the middle part of the ship and they're talking to each other. Yeah, so there's true. some of that. And then they're frequently talking to each other while you're out on missions. Yeah, that's true. And I was thinking of that too, but I tended to just pick like the same two, you know, so I just got this, I only got to hear interactions yeah. with a couple yeah that's true you know th- there was one really funny one that i experienced while working through all of this Jal, vetra and cora playing snakes and ladders did that happen for I you totally did not see this one though. oh my gosh it was really really funny and Jal, it just can't understand <laughs> how this is a children's game he he, he doesn't know why you would submit your children to playing games where they have no control over the outcome. He doesn't understand why you would have kids play games that are all based on dice rolls. Right. Like how does that teach them? Same with uh, Candyland. Right. Exactly. And Vetra just completely overanalyzes the game. Vetra's like, how is it that you can only go up ladders? Ladders <laughs> allow you to go down things too. So that, that, that was, uh, a fun interaction between the crew members while I was gathering everything for, for the movie night. And the movie itself looked like it's something you would just make fun of the whole time. While oh yeah. Watching. Total like B B movie garbage. So the only other side mission stuff that we were going to talk about today was hopefully your final updates on your romance with Jal. Since you completely blew your Since it didn't work PB. out with me and PB. Because n- nothing else ended up happening for you, right? That, nope, that was it. Okay, so I basically just had to do one more mission with Jal. And when you're approaching this mission as a romance thing, the fact that the title of the mission is It Runs in the Family is a little creepy and gross. <laughs> so you head back to his home planet to meet his mom and his dozens of siblings. They're all hanging out in one house. Tons of them. Immediately you meet his mom and you get a, a quick moment where you have to 
you know, hit the right trigger really mm-hmm. quick to decide whether or not you're going to hug the mom. Okay. You have to hug the mom, right? So I mean, I would think I so, but the then maybe that's a bad thing. Well, but you know, it's not because the, the Angaran are all about emotions and, oh, like, yeah, and yeah. all that stuff. So I think I scored points with hugging. The oh, mom. good. Yeah. Then, you know, he introduces you to a bunch of his brothers and sisters and stuff. And then he takes you to his bedroom, which is kind of big for yeah. being a bedroom for one person in a house that has like 25. Right. You're not bunking or anything like that? No, no bunks. Hmm. Just my own room, which is good. <laughs> so he starts showing me things in his room. He's got a cat weapon that his aunt gave to him. And he talks about how he took it apart to learn all about it. He wanted to learn about things, so he took t- took it apart because that's what kids do, right? He also had a pet that died, and he <laughs> took it apart. <laughs> you mean like dissected? Uh, he says <laughs> took it apart. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so then you lay on his floor, and he says, "I want to show you something else." And he built this thing that's kind of like. A planetarium. It displays all of these stars and stuff on the ceiling. It's really cool. It's really cool. And I'm thinking, all right, you know, we're we're laying on the floor next to each other. This is going to be the romance scene. How romantic? Nope. It's what? Not. It's not. <laughs> that scene ends. Th- that particular part of the scene ends with Jal saying, "My mother will love you." <laughs> I'm like, dude, you don't talk about your mom when when you're trying to score. Not maybe maybe not the best idea. So the scene ends and I'm like, that's it? Like, this is how it's going to end with Jal awkwardly ruining the moment by talking about his mom? It doesn't end there either. That mission does basically end, though. And you end up back on the ship and go and check your email, which you never did, but I checked all the time. I had an email from Jal's mom. (laughs) (laughs) And what did she have to say? Her email was was basically she was really excited about our relationship and her her instructing me that I should just ignore everyone who would find this alien relationship offensive because she's really excited about it. Hmm. And that was really cool. And then she ends that email by asking me to forward her my health documents and personal narrative <laughs> of my early years. <laughs> then I have another email from Joel. Okay. You, you gotta love the emails from Joel. Subject line from your romantic friend, Joel. The the greeting is lovely, amazing writer. Meet me on Aya. I have a surprise for you. So you go to Aya. This is where it actually ends. You go to Aya and he shows you this garden paradise. And, you know, Aya is bustling with people. There are people yeah. all over the place. Right. And he, he's takes you down to this garden and she's like, this is gorgeous. Why isn't anybody else here? And he's like, I took care of that. Okay. Uh, he, he somehow got it so that no one else would be here for this. And there's trees and waterfalls and this big pond and it's gorgeous. Sounds awesome. Absolutely gorgeous. There's one of those quick action scenes to offer to give him a kiss. I, of course, did. Mm-hmm. Thinking that might actually be the end of this thing. <laughs> but... Oh my gosh, it's not. Because then you get dialogue options where Jaws kind of fumbling around his words and you go for the straight, super direct messaging of basically, you want to have sex? <laughs> like super direct. Mm-hmm. And 
So you have that option and he's like, sure. <laughs> and you both end up in, in the lake naked. And then eventually you leave the lake and end up in a room somewhere and do the deed. Really? And it it is very, very explicit. Really? Oh, yeah. Way more so than I had expected. Because I don't think it was that explicit in the in the older games. No, not like this. This was w- far more cinematic than I would have Ooh, expected. Okay, so artful. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not necessarily going to suggest that you go and watch this video. And you definitely shouldn't go and watch this video in the presence of anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> so do you feel like things went well with Jal? Do you feel like uh, you two are an item now and... Oh, absolutely. Did you talk about, you know, anything afterwards, like your relationship and nope. what it means? And- nope. But, but I, I, and in previous Mass Effect games, it has always kind of seemed like a one night stand, quick fling sort mm-hmm. of thing, even when it wasn't, even when it did carry on between games. But I kind of feel like with Jaw, it actually is an, a, a real relationship <laughs> that, if there were going to be sequels to this game, that it would actually carry on. Nice. Yeah. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. Worked out a heck of a lot better than, than <laughs> your options with BB. Well, now that you've got that out of your system, let's let's move on to saving the galaxy, please. Okay. So Priority Ops Meridian, The Way Home. Here's a brief recap. It's actually kind of long because there's a lot going on in this in this particular mission. Well, you would expect it to be kind of long. It's the final mission in the game. Okay, here we go. So to find Meridian, Subi's come up with this plan to deploy probes into the Scourge in various places throughout the galaxy that can be used to take measurements. She comp- she calls it like, a, it's like ocean. It's like an ocean. And by measuring the waves and currents, we can kind of predict where the Meridian may have traveled throughout the galaxy. So after we do that, we take... We take the uh, measurements back to the Remnant space station that we saw at the last mission. Mm-hmm. And it somehow activates a bunch of Remnant ships. And they follow the projected path and almost immediately find Meridian. Like, there was, like, no travel time. It was just, like, hanging out in a cloud or something. <laughs> Basically. But it's, it's like, a large... It looks like a planet, kind of, like a small... Mm-hmm. You know, it's sphere, uh, spherical. It looks like it's artificially constructed, right? It's not right. made out of rock or something. It's really smooth. Sam describes it as a self-contained seed world. So rather than terraforming pla- like existing planets, this is like a self-contained world. But it doesn't look like a world, other than it being a sphere. Well, until you get inside. Then it looks beautiful. Mm-hmm. So r- right at this moment, we finally found our destination. That's when the Archon decides to come and hijack, remotely hijack, our Sam implant. Mm-hmm. Because it turns out it looks like he's been spying on us the whole time. Right. He mentions about picking just the right time to do this. I hope he wasn't spying on Jaw and I. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow he's able to uh, like remotely cut our link to Sam, which we, we, we know from the beginning of the game that we are now like tightly interconnected into Sam. They were unable to remove it because we might die. So here we are. And it's being removed, kind of, in a sense. Not physically removed. Right. But disconnected. And so we're dying. So it fades to black. And then the coolest part of this whole mission, I think, happens. Which is where 
we're all of a sudden on the Hyperion, but we're not us. We're the sibling. Mm-hmm. So I'm Sarah. And I got to play Scott. And it was really cool. You think? I didn't really think it was that great. I thought it was awesome because the whole this whole game that we've been playing, I'm like, is, is our sibling ever going to wake up? Are they going to join us in our squad? You know, are they going to be able to participate in the story? Because it seemed like half the game, they're just in a coma. So I think it's really cool that not only are they, they're not just uh, like a side character. They actually get to take part in the story. So I thought that was really cool. Yes, they're definitely more involved in the story at the very end here. But I didn't think that the playing is them part was all that interesting. Well, the game it was super nothing. short. No, it's really short. You got a crappy pistol. And it seemed like the developers built this part of the game. And then the playtesters said, this isn't very fun. Can we make it shorter? And they went back and programmed a shortcut into it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't agree. Because I thought Sarah was cool. Maybe you've just been playing with Sarah the whole yeah, time. I chose like, the cooler character to play as. And obviously. I chose the opposite just because I didn't want to play as the same character. So maybe, yeah, I'm just happy to play as the character I probably would have chosen <laughs> at the beginning. <laughs> so you're right. The only thing that you do with your sibling is is shoot down some more cat. And you have to go find some computer somewhere so that you can send out a remote reboot command to our Sam to like jumpstart it up and, and, and wake us back up, mm-hmm. bring us back from the dead again. Cause we, the Archon already killed or we had to kill ourselves to get out of the Archon's force field way back. Mm-hmm. Remember, but you're able to do that right before being captured. So the cat are there at the Hyperion primarily to capture the sibling. Right. To get access to Sam. Right. Because they've cut your link to Sam. So they're going to use your siblings connection to Sam to, control meridian that's the plan that's a good plan it is a good plan and i called this a few episodes ago where i was like it feels like we're just leading the archon exactly where he wants to go mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that i'm really smart it just means i've it's not a very good idea that it was a predictable story yes so it comes back to us waking up and uh we no longer have sam he's not talking to us anymore and we don't have his ability to interface with the remnant technology all that well it seems like that we're really struggling here to use the remnant technology. And not just struggling, it's painful. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, not like, oh, oh come on, why won't it work? Not it's... whining. <laughs> <laughs> but we have enough control to send a fleet of remnant ships after after the Archon towards the Meridian. Now he's got the Hyperion. So he's not only ca- he didn't just capture our sibling and, and and fly away with us. He's taken the entire arc. Mm-hmm. With all of our people in cry. Yeah, with everybody, all the humans. The Archon uses the Sam implant and our sibling to open up Meridian and goes inside of it. And like you said, it's it just like there's a giant opening. And then when you look inside, it's like this inside out planet. Right. It's like inside out. It's like well, it's not really it's like a, inside out. I no. mean, when you, when you think about all of the other planets, it's just that you can't. It's not like you can see all the way to space, typically, when you're on the surface of Earth. So from the surface of this inner planet, you just can't see its exoskeleton atmosphere. So we fly into Meridian after the Archon, and we have this pretty sweet nomad chase sequence where we chase down the Archon to the Meridian Control Center. And we find that he's, he's, he's got our sibling hooked up to some crazy machine. He's using it to control remnant machines and he's trying to gain access to the vault network. So I didn't think the nomad chasing was in and of itself all that 
cool because it was basically just drive, 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 eventually jump out, stop, shoot some people, and then go inside. But what I did like about it was how beautiful this place is. You really got to explore what a really nice looking planet could look could look like. Totally. And what I what I really liked about it was well, it, it is more cinematic, right? You're right. Mm-hmm. There's not much in terms of gameplay. It's it's drive, and you gotta you gotta maneuver a little bit. Mm-hmm. You're not just holding down the gas. But it's just it feels like everything's coming together because you're chasing down the Archon. You've got people from your side flying in. You've got a lot of radio chatter from different people you've met throughout the game. Like, hey, I'm right. going to help you out here. And then all of a sudden you've got Pathfinders shooting people down and making a path for you. So that's why I thought it was pretty cool. Anyway, of course, we stop the Archon, kill him. We take control of the Vault Network ourselves. The The golden worlds that we've been exploring throughout the game start to recover. Uh, you can see or our sibling is now safe. And the game kind of ends there with the Hyperion having crash landed on Meridian. Mm-hmm. And that's establishing humanity's new home in the galaxy. This is where we're going to end up because this thing's not flying again. Right. It would take a lot of shuttles to get us somewhere else. So let's just live here. The end. That was it. That was the end of the game. And that is the end of the game. There are There is like a montage video there of all of the, well, of many of the planets being terraformed more quickly all of the hazards and stuff starting to dissipate across the different planets and so it's it's cool cutscene but yeah that that's it that's the end of the game what did you think about the boss the boss fight at the end it was okay you know you had the uh you know your 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 siblings trying to help you by pointing you out to different places to go Mm -hmm. all the while this giant remnant architect guy is is trying to destroy you with beams and all kinds of stuff and there's all kinds of remnant robots trying to kill you and i thought it was a pretty fun fight it was long it was long but i didn't feel like it was too long i i died i don't know a few times but yeah, fortunately you didn't have once. to start from the very beginning that would have made me really really bad. <laughs> yeah it's just i don't know i don't know maybe it's just because we've been playing for so many hours but it really just started to feel like i had good control over over my character and in the powers I had selected mm-hmm. and the shooting. And it felt like it just felt like a really good test of the gameplay skills that we've developed over the game. It wasn't. It? Yeah, it did to me. It did. Maybe that's because you didn't die a bunch. Maybe it hmm. didn't feel like it was like an overly scripted thing where it wasn't like a, it wasn't a series of quick time events, you know, to take down the boss. Right. I mean, it was, and but you weren't really fighting the boss directly. Nope. So, I mean, I guess, I guess that's an acceptable trade-off. What do you think about Meridian being our new home? It's a pretty nice place. It's not... I don't I don't get the impression that it's enormous, though. No, it doesn't look that big. So it's probably... Like, it doesn't make sense that it's going to be our only home. I, I think that the humans are going to have to expand out to other planets and all sure. that stuff eventually. But it's a really nice place to start. It's at this point that the game proper ends. Right after this scene, this is where the credits start rolling. But there's stuff after the credits. But I did want to say one thing about the credits. Mm-hmm. There are a ton of people Oh yeah, who worked on this game. A huge number of people. I don't understand how that many people can be involved in one project and actually finish it. <laughs> I mean, you can say whatever you want about the quality of this game. But it's impressive that we can have this many people work on something like this. And it come out as good as it was. It's not a perfect game. Nope. 
but it was still pretty good. But there were so many people in this list that there was a fast forward button and it actually had different speeds. Like you mm-hmm. could fast forward at 2x, 4x, 8x, and it still took forever to get through. Oh, yeah. I didn't want to miss anything. So I usually let the credits roll just mm-hmm. in case I don't want to accidentally skip an extra, you know, cutscene or something. Right. But in this case, it looked like there was a, you pushed, you pushed B to continue. Mm-hmm. So it was probably safe. But just in case, I did wait for the whole. I'm the same way. <laughs> but so that's not the end of the game, though. Nope. We have some more scenes and actually some more gameplay. It's not just a post credit scene. Mm-hmm. So we're back on the Hyperion and your sibling, who just went through this whole ordeal with the Archon, wakes up again, appears to have been in a coma or a long-term sleep again. For weeks. And it's been a few weeks. And so they wake up and and obviously in this time, the Ark has been active. People have been waking up and, and people are getting used to what's going on. And le- like, can you imagine waking up from the sleep? This is your first time waking up after 600 <laughs> years. Right. And you're like, where are we? We're inside of a sphere? Wait, what? And then we were fighting these aliens and right. we crash landed here and I'm still alive? Mm-hmm. That would be a, a pretty crazy way to wake up. That's for sure. So as you make it back out into the Hyperion, there is one last decision for us to make. One last decision, which is kind of interesting because that last mission that we played didn't have any decisions in it. No, yeah, I was, I was surprised that there weren't any decisions to make. Nothing that affected the ending that way. Nope. But here we do have a decision to make. Right, so basically as soon as we get out from seeing our sibling, all of the Nexus leadership rushes up to us and is like, hey, I know you're kind of busy, but we need you to make this decision. We need you to pick a representative. And they don't really describe super well what the position of this representative is it's kind of like president of the galaxy is kind of it's what it felt like they were asking me to choose yeah because at first i was thinking it was it's like an ambassador position but between what like is it just for the arc for having like an ambassador to the other planets and stuff in the system well i don't think it's well i don't think it's just for the arc because we have multiple species represented in our options of who it could be and not and, not and just i don't think it's an ambassador right and i don't think it's an ambassador because an ambassador to who it's not the angarn because you can pick an angarn so it is it, yeah probably is more of a it, representative in this case not elected right in this case oh maybe they did mention something about how this this should only be a temporary position and that we need to elect somebody who's going to get the job done now. Mm-hmm. And then the the grand idea is that all the Nexus people who are running the Nexus that we've been talking to throughout the whole game, that they all resign and are replaced by elected officials. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you get a few options here after a little bit of dialogue exploring all of the different options. You've got Director Tan, Tan the Solarian, who obviously puts forward the Solarian Pathfinder, which for both of us was Pathfinder Reka because we saved her instead right. of the Krogan mm-hmm. in that mission. You can also actually pick a Krogan, which <laughs> which Director Tan thinks is a, ri- a ridiculous idea. Because <laughs> it is a ridiculous idea. Because he's still a space racist. Well, it's also... Oh, you think it's justified racism? <laughs> I don't think it's racism. Speciesism? I, I think that Krogan... 
Krogan have many abilities. Political leadership has never been one that we've uh, th- that we've seen as a strong suit of the Krogan people. <laughs> There's also the Moshai of the Angara, mm-hmm. and uh, the outpost leader Bradley. He's the guy who's been running the outpost, the first outpost that we'd set on up EOS. on EOS. Yeah. yeah, it's important to know here that we are not an option. Right. They specifically say that it can't be us. Well, if it can't be us, who will it be? Right. So, what did you like? Well, so, I mean, it's probably fairly obvious that we we both ruled out the Krogan option because <laughs> it is kind of ridiculous. Uh, the outpost leader Bradley was actually put forward by your character, and it's kind of shot down by some of the others as he hasn't. I mean, he he led an outpost, but that's kind of small potatoes compared to what we're talking about here. So, I think it, it for most people it probably comes down to the Solarian Pathfinder. Or the Moshai. And path, a Pathfinder option makes a lot of sense because they're already leaders and they've already done a lot of leading in mm-hmm. in this new place. Mm-hmm. The Moshai is an interesting option because if you pick the Moshai, it helps to build a little bit more goodwill between all of these new species who just showed up here in the Helios Cluster and the Angaran who have been here forever. So in choosing between those two, I picked the Moshai. I thought it would be better to pick... Are you crazy? (laughs) Probably. I picked the Moshai too. You did? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I felt that, you know, we're invaders. You know, we Mm -hmm. could have gone into this galaxy and not found any, any life whatsoever, let alone intelligent species. Right. And these people live here. So we we're bringing our giant ships full of humans and all kinds of other species and we're going to put ourselves in charge of and i don't mean us or human i don't mean us as a character or us as in humans i mean us as just a representative somebody coming from the milky way galaxy Mm -hmm. i i think that it you know short term and even long term it would help to to really send the message that we want to work with you guys we're not coming over here and just uh, taking over taking over we're not here to enslave people exactly yeah none of that sort of stuff so that that was my reasoning for picking the Moshe. Yeah, we're not we're not creating colonies here. Yeah, so it sounds like we picked the Moshe for the exact same reason. Good job, you made the right choice this time. <laughs> <laughs> cool, but what effect is it really going to have? Well, it doesn't have any effect because I, d- do you expect there to be a sequel to this game? I don't. Because this would only matter if there was going to be a sequel. Yeah, I think so, but. Yeah, so in this case, it's just, but I, I still couldn't pick one at random. I still felt like I had to oh, yeah. answer it. Yeah. After that, you, you're you just kind of given free reign to the lobby area inside the uh, inside the arc. And you got lots of people to talk to, including people who have recently woken up from hibernation, hypersleep, whatever you want to call it. And they've been given new jobs and and you can just kind of talk to them about what they're doing. And then on most of your crew, all of your crew are hanging around too, and you can talk to them. And then afterwards, it's just they let you get back onto the Tempest, and you're basically back in in the game. Where you any any um, side missions that you'd want to do, you can still do with a few exceptions, and you can just continue on to 100% the game. Yeah. So before we get into that, because I I have a couple of things that I want to say about that. Let Let's talk a little bit about some of the conversation things that happen with your crew and stuff like that. So I, of course, want to talk about Jal. I had a fun conversation with Jal. I think Jal is the person that you talk the most with. I think he's the one who has the most to say. And 
I don't remember the exact uh, dialogue option and, and whatnot and, and what he said, but I picked a, a humorous response to it. And Joel kind of chided me for not being able to refrain from joking during a, a fairly serious thing that, that's going on here. And then he admits that he likes the fact that I do that. So that was that was sweet. <laughs> There's no romance options despite all of these these conversations with Joel, which I don't know, it kind of kind of feels appropriate. We're at this like celebration event. It seems like it would be weird to have romance dialogue options. You don't have to be all over each other everywhere you go, Josh. Well, Jeez. but I did have romance options when talking to Liam and PB. What? Yes. Don't they haven't taken a hint. No, no, they haven't. Now that I've saved the galaxy, they're all like, oh, oh hey, mm-hmm. maybe now. I went around and talked to everybody, but I just, nothing really stood out to me. Mm-mm. Another thing that I discovered here, there's a data pad. It's in the room where people are dancing. And on that data pad, there's a message that says, yeah, we, we still can't really determine the, the Jardon's intent for building Meridian or basically anything else. So it's been weeks since the Meridian thing, and we still don't really know anything. It seems, this seems like the writers for the game just being like, well, let's, I don't have a good ending for this, so let's just not wrap this up. It, it kind of felt like that really infamous scene from Destiny, where it's like, I don't have time to tell you why I don't have time. <laughs> it, it, you know, it, in game or in universe, it could be that nobody else knows how to interact with the, because you would think on Meridian, you'd have access to all the information you could possibly want about this this technology and the, right. and the people behind it. And their intent and all that. But the only two people who can really do that are the writers, and mm-hmm. one has been knocked out of commission for a while. And who knows what we have been doing. But I think the reason why is this whole game seems like a setup for a sequel. That's never going to In happen. regards to the Remnant and the Jardin. Mm-hmm. It could be. I think there's only one other thing to talk about in the game before we kind of go over uh, overall what we think about everything. And that is there is an extra scene uh, that takes place in space on a, on a cat ship. And it is Primus, who was the Archon's second in command. Mm-hmm. And she just is looking out over everything out a window and just turns around and walks towards the camera. Yeah, it's basically just a reminder that Okay, you beat the Archon, but that doesn't just immediately kill all of the cat. The cat are still out here. You're still going to have to deal with the cat. Yeah. But we never saw this Archon's boss. That's the way I I keep putting it. Because there was a scene earlier in the game where the Archon and Primus are talking and how Primus is talking about how these things you shouldn't be doing. We've got a mission and you're Mm -hmm. wasting time with all this remnant stuff. And there was an implication of there being higher ups. Yeah. And we never, we never got to see anything about that. So not much of a cliffhanger, but I think that, I think that's good. I don't like it when you get, you, you, you finish hours, dozens of hours on a game and they just leave you with this really wimpy ending where you get to celebrate for all of two seconds. And then it's like, but you didn't really do everything because here's this. And then you got to wait five years for the next game to come <laughs> out. So it's nice that in a sense, this feels self-contained. Yeah. But not everything's resolved. Right. And that's cool. But some things are resolved, you know? There's enough there mm-hmm. that it feels like a complete experience. Here's another problem that I had with this ending. Do you remember way, way, way back when 
we were going around from planet to planet playing space Sudoku to activate remnant vaults. Mm -hmm. I said, once we learned of Meridian, why am I wasting my time doing this? Mm -hmm. Meridian is going to do all of this work for us. I don't need to activate any more vaults. Well, after this epilogue, you can keep playing any vaults that you didn't activate. They still need to be activated. Why? That's weird because we saw all the planets like having their hazards being removed, like having them go away. Right. So it would seem which like... Which can only be done by the vaults being activated, <laughs> which is what Meridian did. Yeah. I mean, there were plenty of other missions that when the epilogue started, it popped up on the screen and said, mission failed, yep. mission failed. You know, all of the stuff that required Hyperion to be attached to the Nexus that I hadn't done, mm-hmm. all of those missions failed. Yeah. Well, what about activating the vaults? Why yeah, didn't it just fail those too? too? Yeah. It's not a huge deal, but it kind of messes with the story. Yeah. It's hard. I think it's hard. I, w- I would think it'd be hard to write a story in a game like this, an open world game, mm-hmm. that you can finish the game and still have it make sense to allow the player to come back in almost as if nothing's happened, the ending didn't get resolved, mm-hmm. and still be able to do everything. I mean, it's kind of changed your story. Because what if you, what if it was that, all the cat did die. Like there was some, there was some silly thing where the Archon was the commander and was like a get, like the Geth kind of are. Well, not really. The Geth kind of had something going but on. But if like there that. was like some shared central nervous system yeah. thing that it, if the main person dies, they all die or something like that, then you wouldn't really be able to go and have battles with them all over the place exactly. because they should be dead. So it limits the possibility of endings, right? Yeah. It limits your possibility of storytelling because of the requirements of the game mm-hmm. and the gameplay. And that's where we see a lot. We see story at odds with gameplay all the time. Mm-hmm. And the more gameplay you have, the more that's going to happen. That just seems like a fairly big one. Yeah. But maybe it messes with achievement hunters and, you know, that sort of. Oh, yeah. People would be super upset if you couldn't go back and do those things. You got to start a 30, 35, 40 hour adventure all over again to see everything. That's what save games are for, right? I guess. So that's the ending. I think it's time now. It's it's the final episode that we're going to do for Mass Effect Andromeda. Let's talk about the whole game, the whole story, and our overall thoughts of it now that we've finished. Let's talk. We, we talked a little bit about this earlier, but let's talk about the sibling thing going on in this game. You know, you, you pick whether you want to be the brother or the sister at mm-hmm. the very beginning, and you find out that your sibling is in a coma and you don't get to really interact with them much. And then you have... Two interesting scenes, one where you have to decide whether or not you tell them that your dad is dead and then the repercussions of that later on, and then a whole lot of nothing, and then a 10-minute scene where you play as the sibling in the very last mission, and then a short, semi-meaningless cutscene regarding the sibling at the very end. And I didn't feel all that satisfied with all of that. I, I thought there would have been some cool stuff that they probably could have done with the sibling thing. And they just didn't at all, really. So a little disappointed by that. I'm not sure what I expected with it, but I guess, yeah, I was hoping to see more, to have more interaction and not have them be out of commission for so much of the game. Mm-hmm. The other thing about the whole sibling thing is, and as we talked about when we first started this grand adventure, was that unlike the previous trilogy, these are two separate characters Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas before you were you were you basically had the same character with the, with the same history and you were picking that character's gender 
Mm-hmm. In this case, you're st- you're still choosing between male and female, but they are actually different characters with different names. But I felt like it didn't even matter because all the writing, all the dialogue mm-hmm. for the for the two characters is the same, yeah. I mean, with some some exceptions, I'm sure. But I would watch you play for a little bit, mm-hmm. and I'd be like, "That's exactly the same thing that my writer said." But they're obviously different voice actor, mm-hmm. right? But they're different people. But they're different people. What are the chances they'd come, they'd say the exact same thing? Right. You Even know? if they were twins, they wouldn't say the same thing. So it's it's like you have two separate characters, but in a sense, they really are. This they're merged together. Yeah, you, you don't really have two. And, separate and so characters. It, it seemed it didn't seem realistic in that sense, right? And it would be more obvious if they really did any sort of exploration of of the characters' backstories, but they don't. Like you hear all about liam's time on earth and mm-hmm. you know some of those other characters but Ryder never opens up about their own backstory well yeah you couldn't because then it would apply to both right exactly so that's kind of lame so it's almost like I, I almost i wonder if it would be better to just do it the traditional way yeah i wish we had seen more new species mm-hmm. in the helios cluster we had so many species even in the first mass effect game right where it's just in the Milky Way galaxy. Now, I mean, you have humans and Turians and Asari and all them, but then think about all the other smaller, less significant species that we see. Less significant to the game, at yeah. least. <laughs> like the, uh, what about those guys who they would communicate through smell or what have you? So when they were talking <laughs> to humans, they would always be in a really monotone voice, but mm-hmm. they would, they would, preface everything they said with an emotional description of the tone that it was supposed to take right those guys are hilarious yep the i think are they called vold i don't know the guys who like have the breathing apparatus and they're always Mm -hmm. while they're talking and stuff we don't you know there were so many and i was the one thing out not the one thing but one of the things i was looking forward to in this game was introduced me to a whole bunch of new species that have developed out in a whole different galaxy and we got the angara which i really like Oh, yeah. I like the Angara. Definitely. We got a bunch of, like, animals and monsters and things. Okay. No big deal. And we got the cat, who a lot of what we're shooting are actually just catified Angara. Right. Were there any other... And we find out well, about... Well, the Remnant. Well, the Remnant are machines. They're not an alien species. That's true. They're the machines that were built by the Jardan. The Jardan are kind of like the Protheans from the first series. Mm-hmm. Where they're very mysterious and you they're don't know exactly much about like them. the Protheans. And so again, it makes sense that if there were sequels, we'd probably learn a lot more about them. Mm-hmm. But without that, we just we just have one, maybe two species. So I was disappointed in that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The story overall also felt less less grand. You know, the previous Mass Effect games, you're saving the universe. It looks like all living species are going to be destroyed if you don't do something. Yeah, that's what they they always said. But I, I I had some issues with that that doesn't make sense. Maybe it was more localized. Once we realized the Reapers were actually physical things. Right. That came and had to like, actually get into fights with, mm-hmm. and take them out one, like, you know, get into an actual battle. Right. But yeah, it definitely felt a lot less epic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's important things to do here. You're trying to set up a, a new galaxy to live in, but it's it's certainly not of the scale of, well, you're going to have to save trillions of species or else we're all dead. 
So this story is okay. I mean, for what the story is, you know, it's not set up as a huge epic story like the previous Mass Effects, and that is okay. I don't need every game to be as as critically important as the the original Mass Effect trilogy stories were. But we had so many holes in the plot throughout this whole game that it it just slowly whittled away at what what there was to enjoy in the experience that you know, so much of this game did feel as we were playing through it it felt like it was rushed together at the last minute and that's what we came to learn about the development process that they had to redo a whole bunch of stuff and that the vast majority of the game is completed within like the last year and a half of development which is insane i think the thing that hurts the story the most is the cut the the bad guys of this story because i don't feel like they're developed enough and maybe again this would be a sequel thing but my problem with the cat is that they just seem evil for evil's sake like they're just going around and exalting species and then like wiping things out but for what reason right yeah why do they need to wipe them all out too i understand i can understand the uh, this idea and i really like this idea of a species that evolves not through natural selection but by s- stealing like taking genetic material from other species mm-hmm. and somehow being able to take what they want maybe maybe they just take whatever they get but you know if they're able to pick and choose i want this genetic trait and this is going to make the cat better right yeah that's a cool idea that's really cool but you know what we never see that we never see what the cat looked like before what did they start out as? Maybe we don't need to go back that far. But when we're seeing them exalt the Angara, what are they getting out of it? Yeah, and and there's just nothing. I mean, if I could choose genetic material and stuff, like maybe I would take an elephant trunk. That'd be pretty sweet to have like another <laughs> arm, you know? It's not the prettiest thing, but man, that'd be really versatile. All we see is a, a like a bony rock monster, mm-hmm. right? It looks... Like nothing. It's like if you took a bunch of uh, colors of paint and mixed them all together, you get this disgusting, ugly brown, black thing. I feel like that's all that we've gotten out of them supposedly taking the best traits of all these thousands of species that they've interacted with. And if they've done that, why are all of their soldiers so easy to kill? Why is the Archon not really that? If the Archon is that much more advanced than the rest of us, then why is his plot for how to beat us so weak and why is he so easy to beat at the end now obviously some of that is just you gotta have gameplay but yeah we, i never really felt like th- we need to watch out for this guy because of this of this feature of the species right granted he did one up us but we predicted that would happen mm-hmm. but yeah I, I think to me that's the weakest part of the story yeah yeah i agree that's a good point so i think we've discussed everything that we can about the story partly because there's Not as much there as we might have expected. But what about this game overall? This isn't the first Mass Effect game we've played. It's the fourth Mass Effect game available and the fourth one that we've played because we've played them all. We've played them all together. Fairly recently. Yeah, Yeah, all within the last couple of years. How does this fit in with the rest of the Mass Effect games? And in terms of story, in terms of way that you played it, in terms of gameplay stuff, what are your thoughts from that angle? I think from a gameplay perspective, as a shooter, I think this this Mass Effect has the best gameplay. Like the moment-to-moment shooting, the dashing, 
the amount of customization you can have with your three powers that you can mm-hmm. assign to different buttons. You don't have the tactical stuff. Whereas like in the first game, you could pause the action and then you could tell your squad, I want you to use this power on this dude right mm-hmm. now. So in terms of that, it's not as good if that's the kind of thing that you're looking for. Right. But otherwise, the gameplay is the best in this game. I still got caught up on some things. Dashing around the rocky terrain of planets right. was a little goofy sometimes. But in the actual fighting, combat, top notch. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. As far as Mass Effect goes, like as, as a game in the Mass Effect franchise, just going back to what we said about the alien species, new ones... But it did feel like it was part of Mass Effect. We got we got to see a lot of, of familiar faces or types of faces. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being able to see different genders of those, you know, like being able to have female Turian and stuff like that. Right. You know, I thought it was really good. I think it was def- I think it's definitely worth it if you if you would like if you like Mass Effect. I, I wouldn't say completely dismiss this game. No, no, not at all. Like this is absolutely without a doubt. At the bottom of the list of Mass Effect games. Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3, all better than this game. No doubt. But if you liked those games, I think you should play this game. Because there there is good stuff here. You know, like you said, the gameplay here, the shooting mechanics, things like that. A lot of really good stuff there. Just not the same epic story that we came to expect from, from Mass Effect games. But definitely still a lot to, to enjoy here. The graphics are gorgeous. I really enjoyed the graphics. A lot of the same great audio cues that we loved, you know, the the music when you're flying between planets and, and the sounds of that and stuff. The, the relationships are all still there. That You know, that's always been a really big part of Mass Effect games mm-hmm. is developing relationships with other people within the game. And that's really, really good in this game. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm really not sure how I would rate the relationship aspect of this to the other games. In this game, it's a lot more clear, I think, mm-hmm. whereas before you didn't always know exactly how to advance those relationships. And I don't even just mean the romantic relationships. Oh. All of the relationships, you know, the the friendships that you build up with mm-hmm. your crewmates and stuff like that. For the most part, the voice performances are really good. You know, for a game, an RPG like this that has hundreds of characters, well, most of them are really good. I mean, once you get to some side characters, you know, you don't have... The, the most amazing performance, but it's not like it's really bad. Right. Yep. If if you just think of this as being a side story, like a, like a spinoff kind of. Mm-hmm. Which is really what it is. Yeah. I mean, it's they were probably planning for a new trilogy, right? Because mm-hmm. it seems to be set up for a sequel. Absolutely. But it is a spinoff because you don't, you're not, you don't have the same characters from before. Mm-mm. How did you end up feeling about the change to the Paragon Renegade system? We talked about in the first episode how that was a big change in this mm-hmm. spinoff series here. That instead of having to choose between being really good and really bad, that you're choosing more of like the emotional tone that you're going to go with for the response. How did you end up feeling about that? It didn't seem like it impacted the game very much. What didn't impact the game very much? The different emotional responses. Like choosing different emotional responses would get different responses moment to moment from characters but most of the time it didn't seem like it made an impact in other larger more important ways you know in in previous mass effects where you had the option to say 
kill a character as a renegade option or punch a reporter in the face, (laughs) you know, like those types of things had more lasting consequences. And I didn't really feel like that was the case here. Yeah, I agree. The whatever your choices were in a response, it seemed like the end result was the same because you could almost feel where you would get the character, the character that you're talking to would respond in a certain way based on the, on what you just said. But then the very next sentence felt like it was a sudden shift mm-hmm. in, in the tone of what they were saying that you could tell that that was the collapsing of the branches in the dialogue right. tree coming back to the middle, to the neutral. And the Paragon Renegade system would eventually open up additional options in, in dialogue trees that weren't available here. You know, if you right. were a really, really great person and built up your Paragon really high, then a lot of times you'd be able to sweet talk people out of things. Or if you were a total jerk and had really high Renegade, you could just intimidate people and, and get out of situations that way. And there was nothing like that in this game. On the other hand, the whole Paragon Renegade system... It, it feels off because you're basically being asked to choose between two extremes. Mm-hmm. And if you go down the middle route of trying of not even trying, but just if you behave like a normal person, <laughs> you're going to be somewhere in the middle. Right. And the problem with that is you wouldn't get those extra options mm-hmm. and things. And yeah, you basically really no, had to choose. Yeah. You'd have early to choose on. if I'm going to be really good or evil mm-hmm. or just just bad. And then also, if you do kind of play it as a normal, sane person, where sometimes you choose, you know, negative responses and sometimes you choose good, it would almost feel like you're a whole different character sentence to sentence, mm-hmm. you know, and that kind of that kind of breaks the immersion. Right. So from that perspective, I really like this system. But yeah, it feels like something was lost in, the, in that transition. This game also had the, the Mass Effect problem of what you see written as your option is sometimes not at all what you end up saying. Usually it's somewhat close and your intent yeah. came across, but there are times where I'm like, wait, what? That's not what I meant to say. <laughs> I, I think those were pretty few and far between though. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. So overall, we enjoyed our experience. We played it slightly differently than, than maybe we would have in the past. I mean, for starters, we didn't a hundred percent this game mm-hmm. the way that we did most of the others because the side missions weren't as interesting and part of that is because they made a bigger game this time around yeah. there's a lot more to do here and when you get to scale something has to give so when you add that much more content it's not always going to be great content so i'm okay with that i don't i don't think i'm going to be going back to finish up those things that i didn't do i'm also not sure that i'm ever going to go back and play this game again and i could see myself going back and playing. Like, I've already played Mass Effect 1 twice. I could see myself playing Mass Effect 2 again because it was so good. And and I could maybe even see myself playing Mass Effect 3 again just to get a better understanding of that ending. <laughs> <laughs> so this concludes our longest series so far of any game that we've covered for story players. I hope that you've enjoyed Mass Effect at least as much as we have. But even if you didn't, we want to know what you thought of of your playing time with Mass Effect Andromeda. So send us your feedback. You can do that on Twitter at VG Story Players. Or if you want to reach out to us individually, I'm at Josh Pollard and Joe is at What Color Joe. You can also send us an email. It's just storyplayers at the digitalmediazone.com. And We'd still really appreciate it if you'd share this podcast with other people. You can do that by just telling your friends, maybe on on Facebook or Twitter, or 
heading on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and a review. But that's going to do it for the ninth and final episode of our Mass Effect Andromeda series. Thank you so much for checking us out and sticking with us through these nine long episodes. I'm Josh Pollard. I'm Joe D'Astasio. Adios. See ya.